0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome here to another episode of the Hens Half Court podcast with the sports staff of The Review, Joe Edelin, Connor Metz, and myself, Patrick Laporte, as always, holding it down, talking Delaware women's and Delaware men's basketball action. Good to see you guys again. How
1: are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, you know, same old, same old. I feel like, you know, trying to juggle a million things at once, but, uh, you know, hanging in there.
2: Good as well. Um, tons of stuff going on, almost midpoint of the semester. And then as far as sports go, tons of stuff's going on still. Um, basketball still, March Madness, uh, Delaware football, and all of the
0: sorts. Say mid-semester blues, I guess you could say it is. I mean, we do have our Blue Hen Coop Day on Tuesday, so that, that's, that'll that help us out definitely instead of spring break. But that's none of my business. But anyway, sitting here to talk, as I said, women's and men's basketball action. We'll start here, obviously, with the women's side. Women in the NIT tournament, they made it all the way to the final four. As we talked about last week, we previewed their matchup against Villanova, which indeed they would go on to win. They go and play Rice in the final four, a trip to the championship game on the line, and the Blue Hens season came to an end. Delaware falls to Rice 85-75 to in that final four matchup. Really, guys, I'll look at the stats real quick for Delaware, at least. Jasmine Dickey finishes the year... On a strong note, twenty-five points, thirteen rebounds for Dicky. Lizzie O'Leary finishes off with another ten-plus point game. Twelve points for her, along with seven rebounds. Jules Smalls, twelve points as well, with eight rebounds, as well as making four Delaware threes. Now she did shoot the ball, attempt twelve, so that is something we will actually get into now. Delaware shot just so poorly, and let's we can start here. Delaware shot thirty-four percent. In the first quarter, they shot 14% in the second quarter. The third quarter, they get on track 57%, almost 58%. And then the third, fourth quarter, they shoot 33%. Let's start here, though, I at least on the Delaware side. Delaware struggled to score the basketball. And I remember at one point on Friday, I mean, I looked at the stats, calling the game from the studio with WVUD, and Delaware shooting 7% from the field at one point. You know, talk about what you guys were seeing with Delaware's shooting you know just throughout the first really the whole game from obviously behind the three-point line the mid-range but also just down low and just any bucket it seemed like just nothing would fall for Delaware
1: yeah I mean uh, we mentioned it a million times I feel like throughout the season you know I felt like the the biggest uh, the two biggest things that would kind of hurt Delaware was their turnovers early in the season and definitely down the stretch their shooting definitely came back to haunt them a little bit and you saw it here in this Rice game I mean they did not shoot the basketball well. I, I was kind of concerned, like, yeah, like the shots weren't falling. But a lot of the looks, I was just confused on the shot selection. It seemed like, especially in that first half, Delaware would get an offensive rebound and keep the possession alive after a missed shot. And it seemed like they were like, I know you're running up on a shorter shot clock, but it's like, you're not, you don't have five seconds to shoot. And it seemed like they were just forcing shots up. And a lot of these looks just were not that good. And even, even down low, even a couple of a couple of possessions where Delaware had the opportunity to score the basketball in the paint. Rice just had a size over them, I felt, like, down low. And I felt like that was causing Delaware some troubles, you know, especially down low. But, I mean, it was just – I felt like shot selection mixed with just going completely cold shooting the basketball, like this is a recipe for disaster. I mean, Delaware took 43 more shots than Rice. And even though Delaware lost by 10 points, it didn't feel that close when you were watching the game, especially in that first half. I mean, there was a few possessions where Delaware would get, like, four straight offensive rebounds and do nothing with the basketball. And then Rice would go down – and in five seconds get a, get a bucket, and that's just demoralizing. You can't really do much with that if you're Delaware, And it's hard to battle back when you when you dig yourself in a deep hole and you're, you know, not shooting the basketball well. But you know, I felt like that was just the biggest takeaway for me. You know, it just kind of sunk to see them get to the final four. And then the, the issues that were causing them trouble, you know, all season, not all season long, but this is a team that was what, 25 and five to, to end the year. Yeah, the shooting struggles stink, but it just sucked for them to get to the final four and then have, you know, you shoot. 14% in the in the, you know first quarter or whatever it was. I mean, definitely not ideal for Delaware. Yeah, I think it was a classic Achilles heel
2: of this team all season long that when they shoot themselves in the hole, they sometimes can't get out of it. That's what we saw versus Drexel. We kind of saw it in the first two tournament games. They just happened to play teams that couldn't keep up. And we saw it against Rice. And honestly, I the 30 shots by Jasmine Dickey, she's a volume scorer. She's great at shooting, she's great at doing what she does getting the free throw line. I didn't love the 30 shots. Like, I just don't think that number should be happening. Um, I understand McBride is out and the, the the rotations were really wacky this game. Ton of different rotations we're not used to seeing, especially late just because they were trying to get some some stops on the defensive end. So I kind of get it, but that's a lot of shots. 12 three-pointers from Joel Smalls. She can knock them down. She knocked four of 12, but I just feel like this team didn't do enough driving to the basket, especially when they were rebounding well against a really, really tall team. In Rice, they were still rebounding well, and they just didn't drive to the basket enough. And in the end, I think that can be a lesson learned for the future that getting to the hoop, getting to the free throw line is a good method of scoring points, especially if shots aren't falling. And this team knows that their shooting sometimes does cause them to lose games. So I I was disappointed to see them – take all the shots, like you said, Joe, because some of them were just not not good shot selections. But, like, overall, it happens, and they still put up a ton of points. The defense during the first half was also very worrying. Second quarter, I mean, the offense couldn't make a bucket, and Rice just pulled away. And the classic Delaware defense was not there all game long. And we're getting into that more with the second half, but that was worrying for me, too, almost more, more so than the shooting struggles because we've come to expect those.
0: I mean, as a whole, Rice to go off of that point about them deep defensively, I mean, in the first half, really it wasn't the first half. Rice was running a ton of like backdoor screens. Kind of, they would have people cut in from the backside and kind of just get right underneath the basket and they'd pass it right down low and get an easy bucket on multiple opportunities. I believe I counted like eight to 10 points in the first half that Rice got off that kind of play. Really Rice was able to move the basketball well, especially in the first half. And then you, you combine that really, with the fact that, I mean, Rice shot just very efficiently throughout the game. I mean, they came in, they came in as the top, they were the top defensive team in the, in their conference, in this conference USA, they were, you know, they were, I believe it was ninth in scoring. They were averaging 69 points per game, which wasn't, I know it wasn't great in their conference, but they shot the ball so efficiently. They were first in both field goal percentage and three point percentage, you know, in their conference, coming into the tournament, the WNIT and coming into this matchup. And you know, they showed it today with their ability, or on Friday, excuse me, with their ability to score. I mean, they shot 64% in the first half or first quarter, almost 54% in the second quarter. And then I'll jump over to the second half here. They shot four for four from beyond the three point line. They were perfect in the third quarter. So Rice really, you know, they were able to move the basketball efficiently. And then to go on top of that, I mean, Delaware just struggled to score from the field as you guys hit it on the head. And it seemed like you know, they grabbed those offensive rebounds, but they didn't have, there was just, they couldn't, they put it back up and it just, the, the, the bucket, the net was just closed, it seemed like at times. I, I want to bring this up too. And this was something I asked Nick Delaglio in the studio. You know, coming in, Rice has a center and Nancy Mulkey averaging 16 points per game coming in, eight boards. And she was also six foot nine. And this is just out of speculation. But do you think if, was there any, you know, you have Mulkey coming in that size advantage? And, you know, Delaware was so focused on, you know, there's someone who's 6'9 down low and I got to get a shot up quick rather than trying to get a good look or get, you know, get your – get what you need to do to make a shot and correctly try and put it in the basket. Do you think, you know, having such a presence down there could have had an
1: impact at all? I think it it definitely did. I mean, uh, having Nancy Mulkey be their their best player coming in and just having the sheer size advantage, you know what I mean? Like 6'9" in you know women's college basketball plays a lot different you know what I mean like it's not like every every girl out there is you know six foot five I mean I, I thought like it was clearly evident even watching it you know from my laptop but she didn't really do anything offensively but like defensively the presence was just there and I think it was it was more so that just that the presence in her being down low and I mean she blocked three shots and got a steal it, when you just have that defensive presence down low and uh, you know, you're you're not really having success, you know, penetrating the, the defense and getting the ball down low and working it into the paint. Like, I feel like that was definitely a reason why Delaware seemed to kind of live outside. And even I, I felt like a lot of the, a lot of Delaware shots were just like, even if they were taking two pointers and not taking threes, it was like long twos, like a step or two in front of the three point line. And it's like, I mean, at that at that point, you might as well just step back and take a three. Like the the, the risk outweighs the reward there. Like you know what I mean. And I just felt like Mulkey's presence definitely, I felt like impacted Delaware's strategy offensively because they didn't seem to want to to live down in the paint. And we we've, we've seen them do that, especially in CAA play. You know, Ty Battle and and Lizzie O'Leary. This offense can can work through them down the post. And and Delaware, you know, in the CAA for the most part, they're they're stacking up, you know, size wise, but. You know, you come in, you face you got a girl that's six foot nine down in the low post. I mean, that's, that's pretty difficult. And even when Delaware did have a couple of, you know, looks down low, even, even if they weren't being blocked or impacted necessarily defensively, you could, you could see just the presence of Rice defensively was what was, you know, forcing Delaware to miss these shots. Yeah. I think her presence defensively was huge for Rice.
2: Honestly, like I can't coming into the game. I thought that was the key stop Moki offensively. And penetrate inside when you're on offense and they couldn't really do the latter. Obviously, Moki had a great impact there, three block shots and everything, especially during the first half. They, they just struggled to get inside and get good looks. Offensively, zero points. It's crazy. Going into the game, if you say Mokey has zero points, like I'm liking the chances here. But the guards, the guards killed Delaware. Um, good inside out game. I think she had five assists. Um, the whole team was just moving the ball really well for Rice. Um, with the cuts and everything into the paint. So it's not like she was absent offensively. It's just she wasn't the one getting the looks, which worked perfectly fine for the Owls. So uh, in the end, I think her impact did determine this game. And she's the MVP of the tournament for a reason. Um, even when she's scoring zero points, she has a huge impact on the game on both ends still. So uh, it, it, if Mulkey wasn't there, I definitely would have been different. Um, her height, her her play on both sides gave Rice the great opportunity to win.
0: You know, and they go bounce off that, you know, Nancy Mulkey has zero points to go with the big defensive presence, though. As Connor hinted at, it was the play of Rice's guards that really got them offensively going. It was Lauren Schwartz. She finishes with 25 points, shooting 7 of 12 from the field, 1 of 2 from beyond the 3-point line while going perfect from the free throw line, getting to the line 10 times and making all 10 of her attempts. And then Caitlin Crossweight as well, 20 points for her, she shot four, seven from the field, six of, or four, seven from beyond three point line, six of 12 from the field. So, you know, that combination right there gets you 45 points. And really it was just, they, at times, both of them could not miss. It seemed like, especially with crossweight. I mean, at one point, I believe it was during that third quarter. I mean, when Rice was going, they were, you could tell Delaware is making a little bit of a push maybe, but Rice was just holding it off and just through their shooting and their ability to score the basketball. Jasmine Smith finishes with 17 points for the Owls, 5 of 8 from the field. And Sidney Wiggins finishes with 11 while shooting 4 of 7 from the field. So those f- first those four those four players I list, I mean, they all shoot around 50% from the field efficient, efficiently, you know, as I talked about, you know, how they came into this game. So Rice offensively just played a lot better. And then you, you combine that with Delaware's inability to score the basketball throughout a large part of this game. But I will say this, you know, one thing to take away from this was before we talk about kind of what the long term impact of, you know, just, just this game of the season could mean, you know, Delaware at the end, there was a, there was a chance they were able to bring it back to single digits midway through the fourth quarter. And you thought if they got one basket or if they got one rebound that they had a shot to really get back into the game, you know, did you guys think at all, you know, down in around the end of the third quarter is when it really started up and then throughout the fourth that Delaware was going to at least make a true comeback into the game.
1: See, I was a little weary. Like I, I was, I didn't want to get my hopes up, but I had this kind of concern with Delaware all year long. And I know Jasmine Dickey is a phenomenal player. I mean, she's a player of the year, but she's not necessarily the type of like knockdown shooter, like go get a bucket. If you need a bucket right now, you know, she's a volume scorer. Like she's not that type of player. That's just going to be able to, to go and, and, she's not the type of knockdown shooter that can get you a bucket when you need it. Um, And that's not a detriment to her. I mean, she's the CAA player of the year for a reason, but I just felt like even though Delaware was creeping back, I was thinking, you know, who's going to step up and knock down that shot. And it just felt like no one on Delaware really could get like their rhythm going, just shooting the basketball um, on Friday. And I mean, I I just felt like that too many times that happened um, this season, but yes, I felt like they could come back, but you know, they needed to defend better. They needed to shoot the ball as a team better. And I just felt like the inability to just have someone that can, you know, get this team going and stay hot and someone that can just you can ride that hot hand, you know, to a comeback. I just felt like Delaware lacked that. And that's why I was a little worried that they wouldn't be able to come back. And unfortunately, I was right.
2: I was kind of surprised by the comeback. I think they did a really good job in the third and fourth quarter. Um The defense tight, tightened up. They did what they could to make the game closer. I mean, it it was a Hail Mary type situation. They had to play a lot of press, a lot of aggressive defense, and then make some shots. The weird thing was, like, the rotations were all weird. Um, With Paris McBride out, uh, Skinner didn't get as much time as I expected, especially in the second half. You had Teddor playing a lot. So it was some wacky rotations, all the subs. But, like, taking that into account, I was surprised by how they were able to get buckets and stuff. Like, they scored during the second half. It was just – no one was in a rhythm rhythm like you said, Joe. It was just whoever whoever gets the shot takes it and it was hit or miss and they just they really needed another run towards the end of the fourth quarter. They just quite couldn't get it. There were a few calls that really stumped them, but I mean, in the end, Rice just hit hit the free throws when they needed to, and the Delaware defense just needed a few more steals. Going into the second half, I didn't expect that type of comeback. They were within seven, I believe, at the end of the fourth quarter. So I didn't I didn't really expect that. I was Great to see it because they, they played hard to then. They played really, really hard. Defensively, they were all over rice. If they had played like that the whole game, probably impossible to keep that up the whole game. But if they had played that good of defense the whole game, they definitely would have stood a good shot. So props to them for making that comeback and playing way better defensively. But it was
0: too little too late. Down the stretch, there was times, you know, they'd make a basket. I know Jules Smalls in the fourth quarter was... Probably the boys, you could tell that she was the one they were going to, at least because you had to shoot some threes to try and get back into the game. But really, I mean, I just felt like Delaware was unable to, you know, as we touched on, to efficiently score. And at times, I believe with less than five minutes, there was a basket or two that they definitely could have made down low. I forget who exactly shot it. But I mean it was underneath the baskets. And it's a point, it's points you need in that time. You know, it's not jacking up a three. It's points down low on a somewhat easy layup. I know there was a rebound with about two, two and a half minutes left in the game with China Latimer, I believe it was, that the shot was put up. There was the rebound was there and no one was around like the, just no one was around the basketball. And Rice was able to corral it. But it's just one of those bad kind of bounces. And, you know, I think, I do think that Delaware defensively played well. And even though the rotations were a little weird, I mean, you see Marteador get minutes now and, you know, she got minutes from the first, from the first half on, it wasn't like she was in by the end of the game. She was playing throughout all, mostly all of the game, especially when it seemed like Coach Jadair saw early on that Ty Skinner didn't have, wasn't having her best game just at all. Skinner finishes with five points, two and nine from the field and I guess I can use that with Marteador as a segue into the, to the last last section before we talk some, some NCAA basketball is from not just this game, but this season as a whole, I know I touched on on the broadcast, but what can you, what can, what do you guys see, or what is your take on what this team can take away from this season, you know, with the amount of young, relatively young players. I mean, they only lose two players right now, at least as it stands with Lizzie O'Leary and T Johnson. So, you know, what, what does that look like for this team
1: going forward? You knew that coming into this year was going to be a weird year. And, you know, this was a team that was slept on, you know, from the beginning. I mean, the preseason poll, Delaware's like sixth in the CAA. They come out and they essentially almost run the table in the conference. You know, you finish 24 and five, you miss out on the NCAA tournament, but you get into the NIT, you make a run, you lose in the final four. And, I mean, you, you only, like you said, you only have two seniors. And I guess we really won't know because I guess, I mean, they, they have the option to come back, too. So, I mean, they could come back. Um, I mean, if you're Delaware, I think you have to be pleased with this season. Obviously, you know, you wanted to win the CAA tournament. You wanted to get to, you know, the big dance, whatever. It didn't end up that way, but I think Coach Adair did a great job at, at making the best out of, uh, out of this season, you know, e- even when things went wrong, the ability to just respond and, and improve as a team. And I felt like there was a couple of games in the NIT where I was like I, I, the Clemson game and the, the Fordham game, I mean, I, that was like one of the best games I've seen Delaware play all year. And uh, I just think as the roster looks, I mean, you, you, you're bringing back the reigning CAA player of the year. And, and I felt like every, every woman on the team, just they filled their role so well all year. And, and there is young talent. I mean, if you're Coach Adair, you have to be, I mean, you got to be pretty hype. You know, you're 24 and five this year. Everyone's going to, you know, hopefully improve over the all season and come back. Who's to say they can't do this again next year? I mean, yeah, it didn't necessarily end the way, we expected it to, especially, you know, a month or two ago when, you know, Delaware was in the midst of this crazy CAA run and we thought there was no way that they would lose the CAA tournament. Obviously, it didn't end how you want to, but I just think it's got to be a positive. I mean, 24-5 and was a weird COVID year, and I, I think you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find something to complain about about this Delaware team, not just for this season, but, you know, for the future going forward.
2: Yeah, the future is really bright here. I mean, they re- a lot of players proved that they can play very, very well. And it's a props to this coach and staff. I think Coach Adair has done a phenomenal job with this team, coaching this team during games and practices, pre- preparation, everything, all across the board. The coach and staff did a great job. I didn't see a team better coached, though Drexel is greatly coached by Coach Mallon. I didn't see a team better coached all year long. They were ready every single game. The preparation, the timeouts, everything, all the details. The coach and staff did a great job. And then just for the players, this team is deep. I think one lesson that they can learn for next season is to take advantage of that depth. Jasmine Dickey does not need to shoot 25 shots a game because this team has depth. So kind of looking who can be that second scorer because at times this year it was a mix of people, but I think taking advantage of the depth we have is, is the route to go. And I think that'll make Jasmine Dickey even more efficient, uh, more effective against defenses. Defensively, this team was great this season. So the effort, um, steals, fast break, all of that stuff. So on the court, there's a lot to look forward to next year just because of how good they were this year
0: and how young they are. I think there's, there's no other way that you can put it to say this season was not a success for this team. I mean, Joe had touched on it. You come in ranked six in the preseason poll and you come out and you just play efficient basketball really throughout the season. And I know... You you come up short in the last game of the year to get to that moment to get to that big dance in the NCA, but you come in. What impresses me more is you come off that tough loss against Drexel and you don't just throw in the towel and say, you know, we're in the WNIT. It's the it's the second the second fiddle to you know the NCA tournament. You know they come in and they make a run at the WNIT and they have make a run to the final four in that torn this tournament and had a legitimate shot to get a championship. So. I look at that and that I, I believe that is a great building block for a team that as, as we've said, is very young. I mean, I know I said Lizzie O'Leary and T Johnson are, have the ability, they do have the ability to graduate or they could take that extra year. As Joe said, an extra year of eligibility and play next year. Obviously that's all up to them. So, but I mean, regardless, I mean, you have pieces, obviously there's Jasmine, Dickey, there's tie battle, you know, you have Paris McBride will be coming back off the injury, you know, probably the most impressive player I think all year. And I've really thought this since like the first few weeks of the season was Ty Skinner. I mean, her ability to score off the bench for this team throughout most of the season was impressive. And then she comes into the tournament in these past few games, you know, for Paris McBride, who's out with an injury. And she showed what she has the potential of doing as a starter for this team in the next coming years. So if you're coach Adair and the rest of the coaching staff, you got to love what you see going forward and use this year as a building block for, you know, years to come, because we see it in every sport. It seems like there's a year where a team, you know, they might be good or they might be great, but they, they have to learn and they have to, you know, go through that adversity to, you know, get better. And I feel like that is something that we saw with this team this year. And I think down the stretch will just be, you know, better in long-term for them as a whole. So with that in mind though, that is all, we're going to talk about at least Delaware women's basketball wise, no news with the men, so that will probably be the, the the last time we'll probably talk about this team for just a little bit. If any news comes out for sure, we will talk about that, letting you guys know about any news around the women's basketball team or the men's basketball team for that matter. But now I do want to transition here over to some NCAA men's basketball action as obviously as we have continued talks of the NCAA tournament. This weekend is the second weekend of games. Just to get into it, I mean, right now, three teams have their tickets punched to The final four, or Elite Eight, excuse me. Baylor and Arkansas won their Sweet 16 matchups against Villanova and Oral Roberts, respectively. Gonzaga beat Creighton today. So the Zags are in the Elite Eight right now. Oregon and USC is set to go off at 945, so we will not have the winner of that game. And then at the bottom of the bracket, Michigan defeated Florida State, and they will advance to the Elite Eight. And we, on the other side, we do know the matchup of the Midwest region in the elite eight will be Oregon state take on Houston, Houston defeats Syracuse and Oregon state defeats Loyola, Chicago, you know, off these games guys. And I know I I'll I'll be honest. I know you guys, it seems like you guys just, you guys do follow college basketball a lot, a lot more than I do. I, I have to admit just outside of, you know, the CAA, what from these games that have gone off so far, you know, what game in the sweet 16 caught your eye the most?
1: So, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, like, I just was impressed with this this whole entire – I felt like this weekend, like, was going to tell – was going to be really telling for just, like, who is actually built for the run to the end. And honestly, like, I was really interested in seeing how Arkansas would perform. And, yeah, they got the win over Oral Roberts. But, I mean, that was a hard-fought victory against a 15 seed. And I shouldn't say that as an insult to Oral Roberts because, I mean – they, they did put on a hell of a run. I mean, you beat fifth, you beat number two seed Ohio State, and then you beat Florida, and then you almost beat Arkansas. I mean, that's definitely an impressive run. But I, I think, honestly, I was most intrigued by the Loyola-Chicago and Oregon State match, uh, matchup because I felt like everyone was just writing off Oregon State. They were like – everyone hopped on the Loyola-Chicago bandwagon like right after they beat Illinois, and rightfully so because they, they were a great team. They are a great team, I should say. I mean, they're they're great defensively. <clears throat> they have, you know, Cameron Crotwig, who I feel like America just, like, fell in love with. So I, I don't blame people for hopping on the hype train. But, I mean, this Oregon State team was they, – they have been on, like, quite the run. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule right now. <clears throat> and, I mean, they beat Loyola Chicago, obviously. They beat Oklahoma State, Tennessee, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, all in a row. Like, these are all tournament teams in a row. Like, that is super impressive. Now you are getting ready to go and face Houston. I mean, like, I – I mean, that game I thought was awesome. I just couldn't believe people were writing off Oregon State. I mean, to me, I think they can really beat Houston and sneak into this Final Four. I mean, this is a team that can defend. They're hot. Out of those teams I just named, like people had Oklahoma State making a run. I mean, Tennessee was top five at one point this year. I mean, and then all the Pac-12 teams that they beat on en route to win in their conference championship. They're all still playing. I mean, obviously, you got two of them playing tonight. So, I mean, I mean, UCLA is playing right now. I mean, it's just. I can I couldn't believe people writing off Oregon State like that. So that was definitely the matchup I was most looking forward to and it did not disappoint.
2: There were two main matchups I was intrigued in and one happened earlier today, Michigan and Florida State. Michigan's no joke. I feel like the liver's injury made everyone down on Michigan, but they had a pretty nice draw and they've been playing fantastic. They're a deep team, Juan Howard's doing a great job. Hunter Dickinson didn't even really get going today, but they they still their defense is I would say top five in this tourney top five in the nation and the best left in the tourney with Loyola Chicago out. So they're, they're winning today they proved a lot because Florida state's a long athletic, deep team and they handled them for 40 minutes with no problem at all. So I think Michigan, like looking at the bracket right now, they could contend with Gonzaga if they do end up meeting up in the final four. And previously, I really didn't think so. And then the other matchup in the sweet 16 that caught my eye was Houston, Syracuse, Houston has, Gotten a nice ride to the Elite Eight here. They they got an easy win over Cleveland State, barely beat Rutgers, who did not does not look like a great team through the season. And then they get an 11 Syracuse team, who I think plays a good zone. And Houston really wasn't great offensively, but Houston's defense is also one of the best of long. And they have multiple scorers, and they haven't even gotten hot yet. And I think the Oregon State matchup really favors Houston here. I mean, I like Grimes, Sasser, and Jareau. Deroz getting healthy again. He was hobbled in the past few games, so I think Houston has the best path to the Final Four here. I mean, they're getting all double-digit seeds; like they gotta love it. Kelvin Sampson's gotta love this here. I'm gonna be interested if they do end up playing Baylor or Arkansas. Are they gonna contend with them, or are they just gonna be this middling Houston team that struggled to get to that point? So I think that 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 matchup will be interesting. And then whoever Michigan plays, I, that'll definitely be interesting. U, UCLA is hot. Hamey Hackwiz and Johnny Juzang really hot, and then Bama can score. Uh, they don't really defend well. So I think Michigan has a great chance to get to the final four. I'm confident in them. And then just looking up at the top here, I, I think Oregon and or USC can contend with Gonzaga, but Gonzaga looked really good today. Creighton had no shot. So I, Gonzaga would be my shoe-in for the final four. And then I think Michigan has a great chance to get there too. So I think the, the bottom side here is really up for grabs. In terms of the Midwest and the South, Baylor's in prime position. But overall, from the Sweet 16, Michigan is a big winner today because they got that big win over a good Florida State team, and they are better than people think, even without Isaiah Livers.
0: And to kind of piggyback off that, I want to hear your guys' opinions. You know, or I'll just go into it. You know, what? Give me your guys' final four matchup from the teams that are. Remaining, I know that might be a little bit hard to do as right now UCLA is playing Bama and obviously Oregon and USC play at 930. I'm interested to hear this. What is your guys' final four out of these these remaining teams that either have yet to play or are already into the final Elite Eight right now?
1: Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, I'm just looking at the bracket here. And in the South, I mean, I'm sorry, I just like Baylor over Arkansas. I just feel like Baylor is going to be too much for them. I mean, they seem to finally—they uh, seem to finally have found their footing after their COVID pause from a couple of weeks ago, or really, it was, you know, a month plus now. But you know, it took them a while to find their footing, and it seems like they're finally—you know—everything's clicking on all cylinders for them. Uh, so I, I just don't think that—I just think that that trio of guards and Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and Masio Teague—I just don't think uh, there's no backcourt in college basketball that rivals that. And I just feel like it's going to be too much for Arkansas. So I got Baylor going out of the south. Um, And then for the Midwest, man, I, I agree, Connor. I, you know, I think Houston, they've had a, a, you know, relatively easy run so far. And this matchup I think does favor Houston, but man, I'm going to go Oregon state. I just feel like this is the team. Like every March there's a team that just gets hot at the right time. And I mean, for Oregon state to get hot at the right time, they were not going to, they were likely were not going to be a tournament team. They run the table in the conference tournament. They get, you know, they get the auto bid that way. And then now you're, you know, you're a game away from the Final Four. I mean, I just like their chances. They're riding the hot hand. I just feel like every March, there's a team that's got the juice, and I just think it's, you know, I just think it's Oregon State this year. And then for the East, uh, you know, I agree with, with what you said, Connor, about Michigan. You know, the liver's uh, injury is huge for them. And I thought today's win was super impressive because they didn't get, you know, as good as a game out of Hunter Dickinson, and they still, you know, beat Florida State handily. You know, it was, it was not necessarily close – by any means, but man, I don't know. I just like this Alabama team. I know they're struggling right now. They're going back and forth with UCLA. I think they're down four right now, but I just like Alabama, man. If they're able to pull this one out, I like their chances against Michigan, just because I I feel like they take three and D to like a whole nother level. Like every single person on their team, one through five can, you know, is essentially knock down shooter. And I just feel like in March, I mean, you see with Oregon state, Oregon state just got hot from three and they essentially rode that for three games. Um, you know, to this point. And I feel like Alabama, that's been their MO all year. I know Michigan's going to be good, and it's going to be a test if Alabama does pull this off and face them. But I just like Alabama going on. I just, you know, I just feel like they, they got a deep squad. And and when they're shooting, when they're shooting efficiently, like it's going to be hard for any team to beat them, including Gonzaga. Because, I mean, I, I remember them playing Florida a couple months ago, and they scored like 111 points in 40 minutes. Like that's, that's insane. You know, I'm kind of torn because – Obviously the easy pick is Gonzaga and they are clearly the best team in the country, but I, I am going to pick them for my final four spot, but if Oregon wins tonight and I think USC can give them fits too, but that Oregon team that beat that version of the Oregon team that beat Iowa the other day can beat anybody in the nation. So if they can, if they're clicking and they ride the hot hand, they beat USC tonight and they go on to, you know, play Gonzaga. I honestly think, you know, Oregon can give them a, a fight, but I'm going to go with Gonzaga. So I got Gonzaga, Baylor, Oregon State, and Alabama.
2: Yeah, I'll also take Gonzaga. I, I have Oregon there now. I think either team that wins will give them give them a test. I think Oregon has a better shot. I think they're deeper, more athletic, longer. You can guard them better, but I just don't see how they can keep up with Gonzaga. Gonzaga didn't even play that great today. Kispert was really not a big part of the offense. You had Ayai take taking the um, reins on the offense, really, and they blew Creighton out of the water. So give me Gonzaga. I don't think I I can I can't go with Oregon or USC. Then looking at Michigan versus Bama or UCLA, I actually think UCLA is a tougher match matchup for Michigan. I just don't love Bama. I don't think they can hang with Michigan. I think Bama is pretty inconsistent. Turnovers. Um, their defense is really spotty. And I think UCLA is on a run. They're underseeded in my opinion, and they've beaten really good teams to get here. Uh, Michigan State and BYU, two of them. So I think like gives Michigan more fits, but either team that wins that, I, I still got Michigan moving on. And uh, I'll take more chalk down at the bottom. I'll take Baylor over Arkansas. I think this is probably the easiest matchup aside from the Gonzaga matchup. I like Baylor. I don't like Arkansas. I, they just haven't looked great. They can't shoot from three. They're really cold, and Baylor defends really well on the perimeter. So give me Baylor there. And then also give me Houston. I don't like Oregon State in that matchup. I, I just think they'll cool off. I, I they, They've been impressive, but, I mean, Loyola Chicago didn't play their best game. Uh, they got they got an Oklahoma State team that's pretty overrated, and they beat Tennessee. Good teams beat them three times in a row. They're on a roll. Just give me Houston. I think Houston needs to prove that they can beat a good team. And then the Houston-Baylor matchup, if it occurs, really intrigues me because I want to see Houston contend with the team. They're, they're, they're my original champion pick, but like they look nothing like a champion right now. So I think that that'll be interesting if it happens. But overall, my final four is all chalk, basically, Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor, Houston.
0: So right now, I guess I'll start. I'll go with Gonzaga in the the West. I mean, I think 100% down, they're the best team in college basketball, even though I do have my doubts on whether they'll win a title, just because I look at the the mantra of you know a perfect season, and that's just something hard to attain, as we've seen in the past with some of these recent teams you know, that Carl Anthony Towns team with Kentucky a few years back is a perfect example of that in my mind, but I got Gonzaga going to the final four. I don't see, you know, why they could, why I don't see how USC, USC or Oregon could, you know, take on that offense that just scores so many points per game across the bracket in the South region with Barrel and Arkansas. I have Arkansas in, the, in my bracket going, but also that was just me trying to be cute. You know, I look at the fact and Connor mentioned this, you know, Arkansas, All three of their games, including the first round, uh, well, the first round matchup, they did win by almost 20 points against Colgate, but that game was close for a decent portion of it. It was not a blowout from start to finish for the Razorbacks. They get by Texas Tech narrowly. They almost lose to Oral Roberts. They they hit a a shot with about three seconds left, and Oral Roberts misses a three-pointer that could have easily sent them to the Elite Eight. So, you know, Arkansas has been struggling. So give me Baylor. I like that defensive matchup as uh, Connor said in the Midwest, Oregon state, I've been riding with them. They're a team that I've just kind of always, you know, had a hunch on, you know, we talked about teams that get hot in March. This is exactly that case. I like, I just like that, 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 that momentum they have going right now for them. So I think, you know, that can get them past Houston into the final four. I don't know how far, and then, you know, I was a little bit down on Michigan just in my brackets that I've done. But, you know, I watched the Florida State-Michigan game. And, I mean, the Wolverines were in control from start to finish. It seemed like, you know, Francis Wagner Wagner is outstanding. And they have the ability to play defense. That is something that you will need in the tournament, especially when you have the possibility of playing Gonzaga in the Final Four. So, I like – I right now I have Michigan and Gonzaga. And then on the other side of the bracket, I'm going with Oregon State and Baylor – Um, Those are just my thoughts, obviously. But with that, that's all really all I got. Do you guys have any last thoughts on anything, you know, men's college basketball related uh, with the tournament going on so far?
1: Honestly, uh, no, I'm just really hyped for this. I guess my last comment is just I'm hyped for this Oregon game tonight because I feel like like it's going to be interesting to see, like, one of these Pac-12 teams go up against Gonzaga just because, like, even though Gonzaga, like, I felt like in the beginning of the year, they had this, like, run where they had a bunch of non-conference opponents or like they play like Iowa and all these other teams are like Kansas and they beat them all handily but I feel like it's been a little bit of time like I know Creighton today obviously but I feel like it's been time since they face an opponent like Oregon or USC. Like I don't think it really matters which one wins. I feel like both teams pose an interesting matchup. So yeah I think it's just gonna be interesting to see like I mean you mentioned it, pat I mean they're on a run they're they've been perfect so far so like who can you know who can you know possibly upset them I mean it's gonna be interesting to to see, you know, coming down to the wire here. Yeah, I'm still amazed by the Pac-12 run. Um,
2: I was I was high on them than most, but they've totally exceeded what I thought. Um, Oregon State's been great down the stretch. Just the fact that they won the Pac-12, beat all these good teams, and you see these good teams making it far. I, I think Oregon and USC were criminally underseeded, especially Oregon. So that that matchup was the one I was most looking forward to, and Matchups have been kind of so-so in the Sweet 16 so far, but I'm really excited for that. Mo- Mobley Brothers versus Dana Altman, I think that's going to be a great matchup. Uh, and then looking forward in the Elite Eight, I think there's potential for great matchups, but I'm really excited. If the good if Michigan and Gonzaga make the Final Four, I want to see that matchup bad. And then if Baylor ends up making the title game, which I think they have a great shot of, whoever they play of Michigan or Gonzaga likely, I think that'll be a classic matchup. So even though the tournaments kind of went down a little in the sweet 16, um, look wider, not as many upsets. I think the final four and the um, national championship have potential to be really good games between top five teams in the country.
0: It will be interesting for sure to see what happens in these upcoming weeks with the conclusion of the NCAA tournament men's side right around the corner. But with that in mind, that is all we have this week for another episode of the Hens half court podcast here at the review We're going to continue to publish episodes on a weekly basis. We will start incorporating more NBA topics into the mix. And as I said earlier, if any news surrounding Delaware men's or women's basketball comes up, we will obviously get that out and also discuss it. But really, that's all we got this week. You can find our episodes for the Hens Half Court podcast on the reviews website, which is udreview.com, one word as always. And as well as you can find updates and episodes on our Twitter page at Review one word as well. So for myself, Connor and Joe, we enjoyed sitting down and chatting again and we look forward to talking to you all next week.